All right, well, we're going to get into the, the teaching of the Word today. And uh, if you're new with us, the notes are all in the bulletin, and so you can follow along and fill out the blanks in the bulletin. But the name of the teaching series is Exposed. And what we want to do is we want to discuss healthy sexuality. Hebrews 4.13, depending on what translation you read, says that we are all naked and exposed before God. God sees everything. And whether we hide it in our regular everyday lives, God has a spotlight on every part of our life and everything that we're going through. And so that means that God wants to deal with everything. And I think sometimes the shortcoming of the church is this, is that we say, hey, come to church. We'll teach you how to be a follower of Jesus. We'll teach you how to read your Bible. We'll teach you how to pray. We'll teach you how to be generous. We'll teach you about giving. But sex, you're on your own. Sorry, but uh, we're not going to deal with that. You Just go figure it out. But that's a mistake. Sex is talked about from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. It's a critical topic. It's a critical part of our life and our humanity. And yet we leave people on their own trying to figure out, and people are stumbling around in the dark and can't figure out why things are broken in their lives or why things aren't working. And so we're not going to do that at Kauai Bible Church. We're not going to leave people in the dark. We're going to shine a light, and we're going to give a ray of hope, and we're going to help people. And so we started last week with our message, Thrills Within Limits. And we talked about how God wants our sexuality to be a thrill. It's a wonderful gift. He wants us to enjoy it. But we have to enjoy it within limits. And what are those limits? It's within the boundaries of a, of a monogamous marriage between a man and a woman. Those are the limits. And for those that say, oh, well, that's just you making rules and taking all of our fun away, we talked about riding a roller coaster. And that riding a roller coaster is fun because there are limits. Because they use physics and design and testing to make sure that that train is always going to stay on the track. That's what makes it fun. And it's the limits that God put on our sexuality is what truly sets us free to enjoy it. And so if you missed last week's message, be sure to check it out on our website or our podcast. But I kind of gave a preface to what this week's message is, and that is this. What if it isn't wonderful? What if I did everything you said, Pastor? I waited, and we got married, and now I'm in this wonderful, godly marriage. But sex isn't working. It's not wonderful. Well, that's the question that we want to answer today. Let me share a story with you. Now, I joked about how this topic creates enough anxiety anyway. Well, imagine how my wife feels. All week long, what stories are you going to share? I need to hear all stories in advance, and I have every right to edit any story you're going to share with the church. All right. Well, I want to go back to before we were married. And, and this was like a couple of months leading up to our wedding day. Probably at least two times, maybe three times, my lovely fiancé at the time gave me pedicures. Full-service pedicures. I'm talking foot bath, pumice stone, shaving off the dead skin, had the nail file, was filing the nails of my toes. She even had that, that polish that helps repair cracked toenails, right? And so check it out. My father-in-law, 
thought that this was a violation of my man card, and so he made sure to take a picture of it. So this picture is from about 17 years ago. Look how young I looked. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, but this was one of the pedicures that, that my bride-to-be was giving me. And I just thought, this is amazing. I'd never had a pedicure before in my life. And I'm just like, this is going to be a regular part of marriage? This is wonderful. Marriage is going to be even better than I thought. Well, let me tell you, we are coming up on 17 years of marriage, and this amazing woman has not touched my feet once again since our wedding day. In fact, if my feet even get close to her, she freaks out. Get your feet away from me. Those things are gross. And I'm like, wait, what, what, what's going on? What happens? Well, come to find out, my wife has always thought feet were gross. But we were going on a cruise for our honeymoon, and she thought my feet were hideous, and she wanted to make sure that she wasn't embarrassed of my feet on our honeymoon. So I got pedicures. But once the honeymoon was over, whew, so were the pedicures. See, we can go into marriage with wrong expectations. And those wrong expectations can set us up for disappointment. And so I want us to talk today about what if we're struggling in our sexuality? What if I thought marriage was going to be one thing and it turned out to not be that way? What do we do? So let me give you our thesis statement there at the top of your notes. Sexual healing comes from aligning our expectations and attitudes with God's purpose for our sexuality. Let me say that again. Sexual healing comes from aligning our expectations and our attitudes with God's purpose for our sexuality. So what does that mean? That means that the first step in dealing with our sexual struggles is asking the question, what is God's purpose for my sex life? And so I want to encourage you. I'm even going to give you homework. Your homework, and of course, it takes two to tango, and your spouse needs to be willing to do this with you, but even if they're not, you can do this on your own, is that you sit down with your spouse, and you write out a God-given purpose statement for your sex life. This is what God intended for our sex life. And I know I'm already blowing people's minds right now. Why would we do something like that? to give us a deeper understanding of what God intended in the first place. Now, if you're single and you're not married yet, I want to encourage you to still write a God-given purpose statement for your sex life when you're married so that you know already going in what God is speaking to you and that that purpose statement might just help protect you from falling into sexual temptation before you're married. If you're single here today and you have no intention of getting married, you've embraced the gift of singleness for the rest of your life, then I want you to write a purpose statement from God about your singleness and why he's called you to singleness. But I want us to start by thinking about what is God's purpose for my sex life? So let's go back to the beginning. We started here last week as well. Genesis 1.28 God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. 
And then one chapter later, Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. From the very beginning of humanity, from the very beginning of sexuality, God established two purposes for sex, procreation and recreation. Procreation. God intended for sex to be the way that we would reproduce the human race and that we would continue to fill the earth and reproduce. And so to accomplish that, he gave us a sex drive and an attraction to ensure that we would be driven to do this. And so having a sex drive is perfectly natural. It's okay. You shouldn't be ashamed of it. You shouldn't be embarrassed of it. God gave it to you so that we would be able to fulfill the first mandate, which is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He gave us a sex drive. Now listen, it's perfectly normal for your sex drive to decrease with age. And maybe God knew what he was doing, right? After your childbearing years are done, the drive gets a little less and a little less. It's also a part of God's plan that our sex drives are different. It's totally okay in your marriage if one person wants to have sex all the time and the other person is like, yeah, once a week's okay. Right? That's okay. I mean, if he gave both of you a crazy strong sex drive, you'd never get anything else done, right? So God matched you up with your partner on purpose. Procreation was a part of God's purpose and plan for our sexuality. But listen, so was recreation. God intended sex to be a gift for you to enjoy with your spouse. We talked last week about the one flesh principle. That there is an intimacy that comes from sex that goes beyond just the physical act of sex. But it touches deep into our emotions and our spirits as we draw close together with one person and we share that gift with one person that we don't share with anybody else. And we have that level of intimacy with one person that we don't have with anybody else. And listen, God designed us to respond to sex differently. And that's okay that we're different. In general, and I say in general because everybody's different and so you may not fit the, the, the perfect picture or the stereotype, but in general, God designed men to be driven visually, to be aroused visually. God designed men to, to have the drive for the conquest and, and, and that's a part of how we are aroused. Whereas with women, they were designed much more to respond to the emotion, to the comfort, to the security. Right, And so we talk about a, a, a woman being aroused sexually. It, it has everything to do with the place and that she feels comfortable with the place and she feels comfortable with the moment and, and, and she feels safe and loved and protected. And for the guy to be aroused, he basically needs to be breathing. Okay, that's, uh, um, that's, uh, that, that's, you, that's how it works, right? So... So my wife and I get into bed at night, and, and, and Shannon says, can you just hold me while we talk for a while? And I'm thinking, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about doing, was holding you so we could talk for a while. But because we talk for a while, we're developing an intimacy and a richness in our relationship 
that I never would have experienced if we just did things my way every time. And so God designed us to respond differently on purpose because it's a part of the intimacy and it's a part of developing the relationship. And so from this building block of procreation and recreation, we can start to think about what was God's purpose for our sex life together and how can it help us in the midst of our sexual struggles. So let's talk about sexual struggles and and the reality that it's not all wonderful. Shannon and I, we got married. Our wedding night was wonderful. It was amazing. First couple of nights of our honeymoon, it was wonderful and amazing. But right around the third or fourth night of our honeymoon, it wasn't wonderful and amazing. It was difficult and it wasn't working. And then we got frustrated and then feelings got hurt and then we just stopped And I remember laying in bed that night, been married for a total of four days. And I remember laying in bed that night in a total panic. (gasps) The magic's already gone. It's only been four days. And I've already blown it. We're already not getting it right. And and, and of course, you know, the next day, everything was good again. and, And we kept pressing on. But it was that moment, very early on, that realization that we're going to have to work for this. It's not always going to be wonderful, and it's going to be a struggle sometimes, and we we have to be okay with it being a struggle and have to be willing to put the work in to deal with the struggle. So we're going to study a little bit from Song of Solomon today. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Song of Solomon chapter 5. And if if you remember, last week we read Song of Solomon chapter 7, and and we heard just this amazing romance and passion coming out of this young couple. But we're actually going to backtrack, and I want you to see this, because the first, I believe, three chapters of Song of Solomon, they're just dating, right? And they're writing love letters to each other as they're dating. And then chapter four is the wedding day. They actually get married. And then we read in chapter seven the, the passion and how excited they were to be with each other. But I want to read this from chapter five, because this comes in between the wedding day and that passion. And what we see in between the wedding day and that passion is that there were struggles also. And I want you guys to find hope and encouragement that even this amazingly romantic, passionate couple had struggles. And it's okay for us to have struggles too. Song of Solomon chapter 5, starting in verse 2. This is the young lady writing. She says, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. And so we're going to read this as a dream, right? She is, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. She's, she's having this dream, and so we can interpret this as a dream. She says, a voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of nights. What is going on right here? Dude is locked out of his house. That's what's going on right here, okay? Guys, if you're locked out of the house, something is going wrong, okay? That's just a little free bit of advice from Pastor Aaron right there, okay? Dude is knocking on the door of his house. And you notice the sweet language he's using? My dove, my perfect one. Will you unlock the door? Will you let me in? Right? Come on. Now, Houses back then were probably just one room, right? So it was like a studio. There was no, like, bedrooms and everything like that. It was just one room. So if we were to apply this nowadays, guys, this is like us being locked out of the bedroom, okay? 
How many of you have had a conversation with your wife through the bedroom door? Oh, all right, there's a couple of honest guys in here. All right, a couple of honest guys. He is locked out of the room. And he's trying to use the sweetest language he can. Hey, schnookums. Hey, sweetie pie. Hey there, baby. It's kind of cold out here. It's raining. My head is soaking wet. Can I come in now? Right? Something has gone wrong, this passionate couple, and she has locked him out of the house. And then I love this, verse 3, her response to his sweet words at the locked door. I've taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I've already washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? She is making excuses for why she is not going to get out of bed and unlock that door. I've already taken my nightgown off, honey. It would be way too much trouble for me to put it back on. Why don't you go sleep on the couch? I've already washed and anointed my feet. They would just get dirty if I got out and walked on the floor right now. Why don't you go sleep on the couch? Okay, so something has gone wrong, and we don't know what it is. We can also look at this symbolically that the locked door is some sort of obstacle between you and your spouse. Something has happened, and there is a separation. There is a a brokenness in the relationship. This amazing, passionate couple was having trouble. Verses 4 and 5, my beloved extended his hand through the opening. So now, I don't know exactly what this means, but I picture like there's a mail slot in the door, and he's like reaching his hand through. Hey, honey, I'm still here. It's still wet out here. And then she says, and my feelings were aroused for him. So now she's starting to have a change of heart. Now she's like, maybe we should talk. Maybe I should go open the door. Maybe we should deal with this. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolts. Verse 6, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and had gone. She finally has a change of heart to deal with it, but by the time she has a change of heart to deal with it, he's already gotten ticked off and left. Anybody ever had a conversation like this before? Your spouse wanted to talk, but you didn't. Now you want to talk. Now they're mad and they're gone. Right? They're having trouble. My heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer me. Verse 7, the watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me, and they struck me and they wounded me. The guardsmen of the walls took away my shawl from me. Now remember, this is a dream. So she's not actually getting physically abused here. But now we see in the dream that there is pain that is attached to their relationship. Right? I feel abandoned. And now, because my husband is not here, I am now getting physically wounded. They're taking things from me. They're mistreating me. There is pain now attached to the relationship. And finally, verse 8 I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, as to what you will tell him, for I am lovesick. Now she's so desperate to find him, she's bringing in the town gossips. Have you guys seen him? Now she's putting herself at risk of being the main topic of gossip for the next week or so. 
because she's called all the ladies in to try to find her husband. There were problems. They were having struggles. It doesn't say exactly what happened, but we see the result of their struggles. I want to talk to you about sexual struggles today. You can see in your notes we've got a few blanks here to fill in. The first one is physical problems. You might have physical problems that are affecting your relationship. One could be that sex is physically painful. And you desire your spouse and you want to be with them, but it's painful. And this generally affects women, right? Because either your body doesn't naturally lubricate the way it's supposed to or because um, your, your female sexual organs are, are tilted in the wrong direction and sex physically causes pain. For the man, it could be erectile dysfunction, but we're having physical issues and so sex isn't working. And a lot of times what will happen is, is we'll say, well, it just wasn't meant to be. And so I'm just going to go off and maybe, you know, I'll go look at pornography or maybe I'll just go fantasize by myself and maybe it just wasn't meant to be. Don't do that. Keep finding ways to be intimate. Listen, if something is physically wrong, keep finding ways to be intimate. There are still ways to enjoy sexual intimacy. If sex is painful for her on the inside, it's probably not on the outside. And we can still find ways to deal with this. I know I'm freaking people out right now because nobody ever talks in church like this. Let's be real. Other physical problems? Maybe you've lost your sex drive. Either because of something medically that's happening in your body or just something's going on and you've lost your sex drive. Or it could simply just be life events. You're grieving. Something horrible has happened in your life. You're struggling through a, a difficult life event. Maybe you're just exhausted because that's the season of life that you're in. I, I remember some nights I'd get into bed and, you know, put my arm out, reach out for Shannon. And her response was simply, I've had three children hanging on me all day. The last thing I want right now is you hanging on me. Okay. Can we just hold hands? No. Get as far away from me as you can. This is how we got those children. I don't want to take the chance. Right? Sometimes it's just that season of life. You're tired. You're raising kids. Something's going on. But you got to keep finding ways to be intimate and discover God's purpose. Listen, declare it like this. God's purpose is for us to share a physical intimacy together that we do not share with anyone else. And if you can make that declaration, then you will find ways to keep being intimate even when you're facing physical problems. Another potential problem could be shame, fear, and anxiety that are attached to your sexuality. We had one young lady share, you know, my entire life I was told to act like a nun, and then suddenly on my wedding night I was expected to be a movie star. That's a tough transition. Right? 
And there's a lot of confusion and shame that can come along with that. Maybe it's body shame. Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, the first thing that happened, even before the curse of sin entered, the very first thing that happened is they were ashamed of their bodies. And we've been dealing with body shame ever since. I don't like I don't like how I look. I don't feel comfortable naked. Turn off the lights. I don't want you to see me. We're dealing with body shame. Maybe we're dealing with wrong teachings about sex, either from family culture or from churches you've gone to where uh, there was just this negative view. There was this fear. Maybe it's a pressure to meet certain expectations and you're scared and you're feeling this pressure. Maybe it's because of past sexual relationships and sexual sin in your life that you're dealing with shame and now it's affecting your sex life with your spouse. These are all things that could happen. 1 John 4.18 says there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear. What if we made this declaration? God's purpose is for us to experience a greater understanding of His perfect love through our sex life. And that means that we take all of our shame and our fear and our anxiety and we bring it to the foot of the cross and we invite God's perfect love into our sex life. Shannon and I, from very early on in our marriage, we started a practice of inviting God into our sex life. And I know that might weird some people out. Well, no, sex is something you're supposed to keep separate from God. No, it's not. And so we began to use our sex life as a way to find healing from shame and fear. By before we would do anything intimately, we would pray and we would ask God to bring His perfect love into our sex life. And experiencing that perfect love of God will take us So much more than just our sexuality, but in every area of our life, God could begin to heal that shame and that fear and anxiety. The third one would be any sort of trauma or rape or abuse that you've experienced in your past. And so you're married and you love your spouse and you want to have sex with your spouse, but every time you even start to have sex, all the memories of your abuse all the memories of your attacker, all the memories of that rapist come flooding back in and that's all you can think of and your body shuts down and it's like PTSD. You're experiencing it all over again. Touch, even a gentle touch from your spouse can trigger negative responses both physically and emotionally. Listen, with this one, and I'm going to get back into this here in just a moment, but with this one, it's going to take time. Sex is going to have to become a safe place. And because of that rape or because of that abuse, sex is not a safe place. It's a scary place for you. And it's going to take some time, and it's going to take some work, and it's most likely going to require some professional help. But maybe we can start with the declaration that God's purpose is for sex to be safe and comforting. And if I can start with that purpose, I can start to work through the pain and the trauma to where sex becomes a safe space again. And the last one is disappointment and wrong expectations. 
I thought marriage was going to be like this, and it's not. I was really excited about this specific part of sexuality, and right at the beginning of my marriage, my wife told me she never wants to do that. And I already signed on for life. That means I'm never going to get it. That's right. You're never going to get it. Unless maybe you revisit the issue, right? I'm a fan of revisiting the issue. Hey, baby, I know you didn't like that five years ago, but uh, what do you think now? Still a no? Okay. All right. I was just checking. All right. So, um, disappointment. Those wrong expectations could be because we developed our idea of sexuality from media, maybe from pornography, maybe from what we saw in the movies, that it was always just instantaneous and impulsive and, and super amazing, and that's not how sex really works. But we bring these wrong expectations, and then we're disappointed. And this word is not in your notes, but, but, but God told me to, to, for you to write it in your notes, and that word is resentment. If you don't deal with disappointments and wrong expectations, resentment is going to build up, and that's going to be the locked door between you and your spouse. So what do we do? Focus on what you do have, not on what you don't get. What you do have is an amazing spouse who loves you and wants to spend the rest of their life with you. What you do have is a gift of God that is going to make your life fuller and richer. And even if sex isn't exactly what you thought it was going to be, you're still blessed. And remind yourself how blessed you are. Make a declaration like this. God's purpose is for us to gratefully receive the blessings he's given us in our marriage. And even if that isn't everything you thought sex would be, what he's given you is enough to be grateful and to be blessed with what he's given you in your marriage. So now that I've sufficiently freaked everybody out, Let's talk about the road to wholeness. Let's talk about moving from chapter 5 to chapter 7, right? Chapter 5, the door was locked. Chapter 7, they're passionate again. Let's talk about getting from chapter 5 to chapter 7. In chapter 6, the young lady says this in verse 3, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. What an important reminder that no matter what the struggle is, no matter what the hurt is, no matter what words were said, that there is a oneness in our marriage, that there is a togetherness, and so we're going to work through it because it's worth it, because it's worth it, not just for good sex, but for the blessings of your entire life. Sometimes good sex is worth apologizing for, though, right? You know what, honey, I'm sorry. Can we make up now? Okay, so um, so let's talk about this. I got five things in your notes. The road to wholeness. Number one is communication. We need to start talking about it. Communicate with your spouse. Communicate with them everything about your sex life. Start with the homework I just gave you. What is God's purpose for our sexuality together? What did God intend when he brought us together in marriage? But there is so much you can talk about. Talk about your expectations. 
You probably brought different expectations into your marriage about what sex was going to be like. Talk about your likes and your dislikes. You know that thing that you do, honey? Yeah, I don't like that. I don't know why you keep doing it. Can you please stop? Discuss what you're comfortable with and you're not comfortable with. Honey, I know you like this, but I'm really not comfortable with it. And it's making sex a scary place for me. Can we, can we not do that anymore? Discuss what you're afraid of. Discuss the negative thoughts that come up around sexuality. Discuss the, the feelings. Discuss what you're feeling before, during, and after sex. If it's negative feelings like shame and anxiety or if it's positive feelings like warmth and closeness, discuss what you're feeling. Discuss what you need to be aroused. Tell your spouse what you need. You know, hey, I know that you can just jump into bed and be excited about sex, but I need at least 30 to 45 minutes, and this is what I need. Tell your spouse what you need. The first key is communication. Communication can heal so much, but we're just afraid to talk about it. We're just afraid to deal with it. Let's start talking about it. Second thing here in your notes, and this is the one I want to spend a little more time on. I want you to write in that blank, re-imprinting. Re-imprinting. What is imprinting? Well, imprinting is a psychological term, and there's actually been a lot of psychological studies on it, but the scientific definition of imprinting is this. It's a type of rapid learning that happens at critical stages of life that can influence lifelong behavior regardless of consequences. So a lot of times, and this can happen you know, with a lot of, of, of negative behavior, behaviors where you keep repeating a behavior, and it keeps giving you bad consequences. And so logic would say that you would stop that behavior, but you don't stop it. Why? Probably because something is imprinted inside of you that is continuing to drive that behavior. Does that make sense? So the most common form of imprinting that has been studied scientifically is what's called filial imprinting. And this was first studied in birds, especially chickens and ducks and geese. And what they found is that in these baby birds, in the first 16 hours of their life, the first moving object they see, they're going to imprint to. And they're going to assume that that moving object is their mother. And because birds have an innate uh, a desire to follow their mother, which is why you will see like a duck and then like five ducklings behind it, or of course on Kauai you'll see a chicken and then five little baby chicks behind it, because it's in their DNA to follow their mother. And so what scientists did is they would get an egg and they would wait for it to hatch. And when they would hatch, they would wave things in front of it. And wouldn't you know that that baby imprinted itself to whatever they waved in front of it. The most famous one was a researcher who got these baby ducks to imprint to his rubber boots. So then he would put his rubber boots on and start walking, and that whole line of baby ducks would follow him wherever he went. That's filial imprinting, that we imprint to our parents, right? And that we, we have that natural imprint from a very young age to trust and, and to feel safe with our parents. But there is also sexual imprinting. And this has been studied in a variety of areas. Uh, for example, that... Uh, ladies, if you had a positive relationship with your dad growing up, 
then chances are the man that you married has a lot of the same qualities as your dad. Or men, if you had a positive relationship with your mom growing up, then chances are the woman that you married uh, has things in common with your mom. And you didn't do that on purpose, right? We didn't go out saying, man, I'm really looking for my mom out here. Where, where's my mom at? I want to marry my mom. No, that's weird. It's, it's, it's subconscious. It's something deep inside of us, but, but we do it subconsciously. They also studied this with siblings, that there is a reason why siblings aren't physically attracted to each other. And it's this, it's this kind of reverse sexual imprinting where something happens inside of us that because we grew up with them, there's nothing inside of us that would be attracted to them sexually. And what they found is, is if they found a brother and a sister who didn't grow up together, never met each other, and brought them together later in life, there is a chance that there would be attraction there. Because the proper sexual imprinting didn't happen at a young age when they were growing up together. Why am I talking about all of this? Because sexual imprinting also happens when sex was traumatic. And so if you were raped or abused, that was an imprinting that happened. And that imprinting is stuck inside of you. And it's causing you to behave in a certain way, even though you don't like the way you're behaving. But you can't change it because there was this imprinting inside of you. This happens in children who are abused because their sexuality is turned on at an age when it wasn't supposed to be turned on yet. And they start experiencing lifelong consequences because that imprinting happened. So part of the process of healing is a re-imprinting that has to take place. And, and the best thing that I could uh, use as a metaphor is if, if some sort of a limb got cut off and the doctors had to surgically reattach it. So say uh, your, your arm gets cut off. And for the doctor to surgically reattach your arm is not as simple as just sewing the skin back together and your arm is back on. No. They have to reattach every blood vessel. They have to reattach every nerve ending. They have to reattach every muscle, every tendon, everything. Everything has to be reattached. And so the, the process of doing that takes hours as, as, as you're under surgery and the surgeon precisely is, is reattaching thousands upon thousands of connections to make sure that not only is the arm sewn back on, but that everything is going to work again. And that's what re-imprinting is going to look like. That old picture needs to be severed. That old imprint needs to be cut away. And everything about your sexuality needs to be imprinted to your spouse. But there's a lot of little connections that need to happen for that to take place. And so this is most likely going to require professional help. It's most likely going to require a psychologist or a therapist or at the very least someone who has been trained in, in restoration ministry and who is in, under the covering of a church. This is going to require professional help, but this is what needs to happen. Listen, this, this one flesh principle isn't just a spiritual principle. God also designed it in our physical bodies that when we have sex with somebody, we are attached to that person. 
And so for some people, maybe you haven't been raped or abused, but you had a lot of past sexual experiences before you got married. This re-imprinting may still need to happen. There needs to be a cutting away of all of those attachments that happened before, and there needs to be a re-imprinting of your sexuality to your spouse and only your spouse. And like I said, you really need professional help doing this. This is not a journey to go on on your own. Number three is forgiveness. A part of the sexual healing is going to require forgiveness. What is forgiveness? We're actually going to spend a whole sermon teaching on this here in a couple of weeks, so so hang tight with me. But here's the simple answer. Forgiveness is releasing someone of any debt they owe you. It's releasing somebody. That person owes me something. Well, cancel it. Cancel it. So when somebody says, well, I'll forgive them when they change, that's not forgiveness. You, you still think they owe you something. Oh, I'll forgive them when they apologize. That's not forgiveness. You still think they owe you something. When you get to the point where you can say, they don't owe me anything, that's true forgiveness. Whether they ever change or not, whether they ever apologize or not, you're going to say, I release them of anything they owe me. They don't owe me an apology. They don't owe me money. I don't wish bad things on them. I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to pay the price. I'm not praying for justice to be done. I just release them. So listen, forgiveness needs to start with yourself. There's a lot of us that our sexual healing is going to require us to forgive ourselves. Forgive ourselves because of our past sexual relationships. Forgive ourselves because of the sinful choices we made before. We have to forgive ourselves because our body's not responding the way that we hoped it did. Forgive yourself. You don't owe yourself anything. We need to forgive ourselves. We're going to need to forgive our spouses. Especially if our spouse has done something incredibly painful in our marriage, such as being unfaithful, harming you sexually, being verbally abusive towards you, being physically abusive towards you. Really critical things that we would have to forgive our spouse of. But there's also a lot of small things that just build up over time. And if we don't forgive our spouses, here comes that locked door. And there's something standing between us and our intimacy. And then this also is going to involve forgiving our abuser, our attacker, our rapist, forgiving them for what they have done to us. Number four is healing. We can pray for physical healing. If something in our body isn't working physically, let's pray that God would heal it. If there's something broken in us emotionally, let's pray God can heal it. If there's something uh, that, 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 that's not in alignment in us spiritually, let's pray God can heal it. Let's pray for restoration of our relationship with our spouse. But let's also find healing through authentic relationships, which requires asking for help, and that's probably the hardest thing. It's hard to ask God for help, but it's also hard to ask other people for help. Let me have the worship team come back up today because that's going to lead me into my final point here. And that is number five, is coming out of isolation. Coming out of isolation. 
we need to take this out of the dark. We need to get this out of that place where the enemy is using it as a source of shame and fear and separation. We need to come out of isolation. I want to share a story, and and my wife edited this for me, so I'm going to be very careful how I share this because I don't want to be inappropriate, but I do want to be authentic. My wife and I were going through something. This was probably six or seven years ago, maybe, if, I, if my, my thinking is right. And something was happening through the course of us having sex that didn't seem right. It was making us really uncomfortable. And we were really thinking that something was terribly wrong. Right? And what, it, what this thing was... There was no commercials for it on TV, right? There was nobody talking about it. There was nobody offering medicine, but something was happening. And for a long time, we didn't talk about it. Why? Because of that embarrassment. You know, hey, Shannon, maybe we should go talk to somebody about this. No way. That would be mortifying. Finally, after it prolonged for a while, we went to the doctor and we talked to our doctor about it. And you know what the doctor's response was? That's actually very common. And I was like, wait, what? So I, I, I re-explained it to the doctor. No, I said, no, no, doctor, this is happening. And the doctor was like, yeah, that's actually very common. And I was like, really? Then why aren't there any commercials for it? Why isn't anybody else talking about it? Why? Because everybody's afraid to talk about it. That's why. And so there are tons of people that are scared and upset and thinking that something is horribly wrong. Why? Because they're isolated. It's time to come out of the isolation. It's time to break out of the religiosity of church that we all just come to church and smile and there's some stuff we talk about, but this, who? No, we don't. It's time to come out of the isolation. If we're going to trust this community of believers, then we need to trust this community of believers with even our deepest struggles and our sexual struggles. It's time to come out of the isolation. Listen, men, if you're struggling with something, come talk to me. Come find one of our elders and talk to one of our elders. Find one of the men from our prayer team that you trust and talk to them. Let's bring it out of isolation. Ladies, if there's a struggle, find Pastor Danae, find Shannon, find one of the elders' wives, find one of the ladies from the prayer team, and open up to them. Let's come out of isolation. Couples, if you want to talk about something together, come talk to Shannon and I, to Pastor Danae and Alan, to any of our elder couples. Let's come out of isolation, and let's start talking about this. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to keep it hidden in the dark. And we'll be discreet. We won't gossip about you. We won't spread your story on Coconut Wireless. Right? We won't harm you in that way. But it's time to come out of isolation and start talking about it and start dealing with it. Sugi, if you can start playing a little bit. Let's close with this. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. 
What is it going to take to put in the kind of work that we've got to put in to get through our sexual struggles? Well, once again, this is the young lady talking. Verses 6 and 7. Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. What it's going to take is the kind of commitment to love and the kind of commitment to your marriage or for those single people that are in here today, the kind of commitment to your future marriage that what God is going to bless you with and what you want to prepare yourself for, it's going to take this level of commitment that this young lady said to her husband, put me like a seal over your hearts. And in the Old Testament days, the seal represented ownership. It represented covering. It represented authority. And this woman was saying, I want to know that I'm the only one on your hearts. And then she said, put the seal on your arm. I want to know that I'm the only one you're holding. That when you hold my hand, you're not holding anybody else's hand. I want to know that it's only me. And then I want a love that's as strong as death. How strong is death? Well, death never lets anything go unless God does a crazy resurrection miracle. Hallelujah. Death never lets anything go. So how strong of a love do we need? We need a love that will never let go. That will never let go. Jealousy as severe as Sheol. Other translations say jealousy as demanding as the grave. Now we think of jealousy as a negative thing, but in this context, jealousy is a positive thing. Why? Because jealousy protects the very thing that you're in love with. Jealousy that's as demanding as death. Jealousy that says, I'm never going to let anything come between me and my spouse. It's flashes of fire, like the very fire of the Lord. Did you know that this is the only time in this entire book that God's name is mentioned? I want my love for my spouse to burn just as powerfully as God's love for us. A love that burns so powerfully that many waters cannot quench it, nor will rivers overflow it. I want a love that burns so brightly that no matter what circumstances wash over me in life, the fire will never go out. If a man were to offer all of his riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. I want a love that can't be bought. I want a love that's more precious than all the possessions in the world. That's what it's going to take. That kind of devotion, that kind of love, that kind of commitment to come hand in hand and walk through this thing. And if you say, that's great, Pastor, I'm with you, but my spouse isn't, then you start. You start. You start working on it until your spouse is ready to come along with you. It's time to come out of isolation. It's time to put the work in. Why is this so important, Pastor? Why can't we just decide, ah, we're just not going to have sex? 
Because God created space for that in your marriage. And the problem is, is that if you don't fill that space with your spouse, you're going to fill it with something else that was never supposed to be in there. Never supposed to be in there. Come on, it's time to unlock the door. If there's a locked door between you and your spouse and your sex life, it's time to unlock the door. It's time to find healing. God, I thank you for this word today. I thank you for a people who were willing to sit through it and listen to it. I thank you, God, for taking us to places that we don't normally go in church. But I thank you, God, that you're calling us out of isolation. Every sexual struggle that was spoken out loud from this stage today is just like pulling back the darkness and shining the light on it. And you don't have to be scared of it anymore. You don't have to be ashamed of it anymore. You don't have to keep it hidden anymore. You're not alone. I'm supposed to be praying right now, but now I'm just speaking prophetically. You're not alone. You're not the only one going through it. God hasn't abandoned you. And this isn't the end of the story. It's time to find healing. It's time to find restoration. It's time to face these scary areas that we haven't faced before. Lord, would you come in right now and begin to minister to hearts? Would you come in right now and begin to minister hope? Would you come in right now, Lord, and begin to speak life? And I pray right now for people to find the courage to come out of isolation. Find one person they trust, one person they feel safe with, and ask for help. I thank you for that. I thank you for marriages that are going to be saved because of what's happening right now. I thank you for restoration that's going to happen because of what's happening right now. I thank you for marriages that are going to find a whole new level of passion and love and togetherness because of what's happening right now. Right now. Come on, Lord. Minister to hearts right now. Thank you for this, Jesus. Thank you for this, Jesus.